calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This week's show is so Italian, you might need a side of breadsticks. It's episode 465 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and the reason I say that is because we've got some guests from the Mafia Mama movie that's out right now in theaters. It's going to be talking to director Catherine Hardwick and also Monica Bellucci, who plays Bianca on the show. And it's a fish-out-of-water story, women empowering women, and a woman who's basically found herself at the head of a mafia crime family that she never knew existed in her family. Really fun, so I'll talk to them about that. Also, going to give you my spoiler-filled review of the Super Mario Brothers movie, which you've probably already seen, but I haven't gotten to put my two cents in on that, so I will do that. Also going to recap Star Wars Celebration, going to talk about a lot, bunch of the big announcements that came from Warner Brothers Discovery with a reveal of now the Max Merged streaming service, and I'll also get to some John Wick spinoff news as well. So yeah, a lot to get to. Let's do that now. I'm going to start off with my interviews with the director and a member of the cast of Mafia Mama. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, I'm Melanie Scrifano. I play Winona Earp, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. From a dead-end job to an offer that you can't refuse, Mafia Mama is in theaters right now, and it is a fun spin on a mafia story. Let me tell you, there's so much fun and so much just female empowerment in general in this movie, and I was so happy to talk to director Catherine Hardwick and one of the members of the cast as well, Monica Bellucci, who plays Bianca on the movie. Just about everything going on in this thing and about this woman who goes from, you know, being having a simple life as a wife and a mother and in a job that, she, you know, she's kind of not treated well at to now all of a sudden she's the head of a mafia family in Italy and all the fun things that go along with that. But enough of me talking about it. Let's hear from the people who are involved in it, starting with director Catherine Hardwick. But I should warn you, there might be some minor spoilers here. Just be aware of that. How you doing, Catherine? 
I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. So really quickly, I wanted to ask you, what is it about this Amanda Sturr's story that kind of got your attention at first? Tony Collette sent me the script. I love working with Tony. I did one movie with her. So I'm starting to like read the script, envisioning Tony playing this character. And of course, I just started laughing and imagining all her awesome expressions and just taking the journey with this woman who is just a people pleaser, always thinking about everybody else. And then she like finds her voice and finds her power. I just thought that sounds fun. <laughs> I think she does such a great job in the role of Kristen as well. And she's, she's obviously the fish out of water in this story, as any of us would be. But what is it about her that makes her relatable? Is it some of that stuff that you just mentioned? Yeah, I think you can relate to that. You you want everybody to like you. She wants to be cool to her husband. She's even nice to the girl that her husband's cheating on. You know, like she's, she's a, a good person. But even though she's disrespected at her work, you know, all the bosses, all the dudes are like doing their crazy, you know, male gaze stuff and everything. And so she's... She's navigating life from a position where she's very passive. And as the movie goes on, she's able to like find her power. I think we can all kind of relate to that, that, you know, we've been in moments where people just aren't listening to us, you know, and, but I have a great idea. I swear it's going to be awesome. <laughs> we've all been there for sure, for sure. Now, so many movies surrounding the mafia, Catherine, ha have more of a serious tone and understandably so, but how much fun is it to kind of work with the genre in a more comedic space and even maybe poke fun at a few of the tropes we tend to see in, in movies like that? Oh yeah. I mean, what a fun opportunity of, uh, you know, we, we are not trying to say it's any particular mafia or any particular organized crime family, but the invisible mafia, you know, that's operating in the shadows outside Rome. So definitely ours, the Balbano family, you know, they are a special family. And just to be able to kind of play with that, that they've got the wine as a front, you know, they've got these beautiful old ancient vineyards and ancient like wineries you know we have like a we're in a 400 year old winery you know see so you get all that history of being in italy but you know we play with it because we have a feminist twist on it that's right absolutely you do actually you got to film a little bit in italy do you, do you feel like that kind of helped bring a little bit more authentic authenticity to things and kind of make it feel more real just being there Oh, yeah. I mean, we filmed the whole movie in Italy. So we're all in Rome, Rome-based and all outside of Rome and these ancient villas. And, you know, really, we filmed on the Appian Way. We filmed on the bridge, you know, in view of the castle, ca mm -hmm. Castello de San Angelo, in front of the Vatican. I mean, and everybody was Italian, almost everybody, except for Sofia Nomvet and Tony. You know, we had an Italian cast that just made it super young. Me. They would tell me, no, we wouldn't do that. This is how we eat. This is what we would do. I love that. So the pasta scene makes even more sense to me now. That that makes much more sense yes. now, that I, that, now that I know that. So every time there was a scene, though, with Kristen and Bianca together, I was kind of really locked in to those scenes. Talk about the relationship between the two of those characters and also the, just the amazing chemistry between Tony and Monica, which I thought was incredible. It's so fun because they're like... Blonde and brunette, darkness, light. Also, you know, Monica has comes from the mafia. She's witnessed a lot of violence. She's a cool character. You know, she's going to show Tony 
how to get through this. And Tony's got that kind of bubbly, like innocence, fish out of water. And now she's getting shaped by, you know, Monica and even getting a new outfit, you know, new look and everything. So I love that they were so different. Their energies are so different. You know, Monica's got beautiful voice. It just draws you in. Tony's just super alive and bubbly. And that was the fun. I thought that was so much fun. The contrast, the fact that they did need each other. They cared about each other i love that the light in the dark i didn't actually think about that but you know being the director of that caught your attention i just learned something today that's awesome thank you <laughs> Catherine. so everybody you. needs the ride or die best friend and how much of a role does jenny actually play in this story and just talk about that energy that sophia brings to the character because it just jumps out at you oh my god sophia is outrageous i mean you've seen her on game of thrones the new uh not game of thrones i'm sorry lord of the rings Lord of the Rings. Okay. There We've seen Sophia on Lord of the Rings and she's, you know, the dwarf queen and she's pretty badass on that. And this, you just get to see the fun side of her. She is a ride or die friend. She's always supporting her. She's like, you need to think about you. You need to go to Italy so you can get your beep pounded, you know, that kind of all her funny <laughs> advice she gives her, you know, and her eat, pray, eat, you know, all that stuff. She's really pushing Kristen to be herself, to live her authentic self, to accept her, express her sexuality, her desire for sexuality. And then, of course, even when she's poison somebody she's still there for her oh I'll help you she shows up in court I'm here for you man I'm gonna get you out of this absolutely and I think you're printing t-shirts with those slogans that you got coming up too and when you see the film you'll actually know what she's talking about with, 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 the, with the bleeps there it'll make perfect sense <laughs> I feel like there's a larger story here lingering Catherine I think you just touched on it a little bit here would you kind of say that a lot of the story is actually highlighting women empowering women and how important is that? Yes, I do think the story is women empowering women. You've got Bianca and Sophia's characters, both Ginny, both helping Kristen find her voice. The men uh, at her work are literally muting her. Hit mute. They do not want to hear her voice. They don't want to hear her ideas, but the women are encouraging. And you see the whole vineyard flourishes when Kristen does nurture it and take care of it. You see that, and she makes uh, more humane the mafia, you know, giving drugs to older people that need the drugs at fair prices. So she humanizes it, she feminizes the mafia in a way, and it works out very well for everybody. There are a couple of guys that I love in this movie, and that is Dante oh. and Aldo. Can you just talk about those guys for a second? Because they, I just love them instantly. Oh my God, we love the two bodyguards and they are just beautiful. They had never met each other. So I did a chemistry read on Zoom with them to for casting and I loved, you know, how tall Aldo is, Francesco, and then, you know, Dante's got his warmth and his cute cheeks and everything. And the fact on Zoom, you could just feel that chemistry, like these two are gonna be like an Abbott and Costello or whatever. They're just amazing. And now they're literally almost best friends. <laughs> they do everything. Really, I'm not surprised. Not surprised yeah. at all. I I, I want to be friends with them too after seeing that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, spo no spoilers, Catherine, but we already know the Balbano family certainly changes Kristen. Do you kind of feel like it's it's a little bit the other way around, too? Are they kind of influencing each other just as much throughout the film? Yes, because we do see Kristen putting her humane version of how we should treat people, injecting that into this 
organized crime family. Now her cousin has a little trouble with that, but you know that he's a very fun uh, character too. You know, at, played by Eduardo Scarpetta. He's just wild. That was really fun for me because all a lot of the actors including uh, Monica, Tony, Eduardo, they had a lot to offer, you know, and we liked that idea. Let's improv, let's make it even funnier and more crazy, you know. And this movie has a lot going on for it too, Mafia Mama, make sure you see it in theaters on April the 14th, directed by this lady right here, Catherine Hardwick. Thank you so much for taking your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And have some of our wine with the severed finger. Oh, look at that, I love it, I love it. <laughs> As you can tell, there's a lot to love about this cast. So let's hear from one of them right now, Monica Bellucci, who plays Bianca, who without her, I mean, I don't think Kristen even lasts a day. Let's hear what Monica thinks. Hey, how are you doing today, Monica? Very well, and you? I'm doing very, very well. Thank you. Loved watching Mafia Mama, especially loved Bianca. And I love the fact that we don't get to see a lot of, of movies about the mafia that are actually funny so how much fun did you actually have making this film oh um so much fun and i really love the script the script already when i read it i laughed out loud and i was so happy to work with tony because i love her and I respect her so much and but i didn't know her you know energy in real life and was so exciting and fun to work with her and you know we bouncing off of each other improvising and and I grew up with mafia movies, you know, like many of my generation, but I didn't know that one day I had the chance to work in a film like this one. And, and I'm very grateful that after my appearance in Call My Agent, I had the opportunity to be in a comedy again because I haven't done many comedies in my career. It's funny too, because I think that Bianca is funny, but not like intentionally funny. Did you kind of find that about her as well? But you know, uh, I tried to play cool and relax because she's in charge of the situation. So mm -hmm. she has to control herself. But there are many, there are a few scenes really where I had so much fun, like the scene in the bed with Christine, because this moment was so nice, because actually I didn't know, I knew the lines, but I didn't know what we would do just before shooting. So when I went close to the bed, then we started improvising. And actually the, the scene came out so fun and crazy and sexy. <laughs> and so, I mean, really, but just because I have to say that Catherine gave us the freedom to to explore so many things and she's so elegant she knows what she wants and I think that she really with her femininity brings elegance in the middle uh, of the violence and and I respect her so much because she moved from one genre to another. She did film like 13 and Twilight and and then a, a mob movie. So, and, and, and really she was never scared to try something to sublime and already great script or realizing when you've gone too far. And it's a, a difficult movie, this one, because there are many actors, many scenes, so I think she did a really beautiful work. And also last night we were at the premiere. So it was the first time that I watched the film with an audience. And actually, I mean, I realized that everybody says this is the you know, a comedy in the world of mafia with a feminine twist, but mm -hmm. actually 
It's a powerful movie. It really is. It is all of those things. And that scene you mentioned is one of my favorites, too. So I'm glad you brought that up. It's funny, though, because you would think that you and Tony had been working together for years because the chemistry was just there. It just seemed like it clicked right away. Did it feel like you all clicked right away? Talk a little bit about that relationship between Christian and Bianca. Uh, I mean, you know, we didn't know each other, but already in the phone when he spoke for the first time was such a beautiful chemistry right away. And this was really helpful because it doesn't happen all the time, you know? So we could build all the affection and connection, you know, that carries these two characters in their adventure. And so I hope, you know, this is going to happen again. And also, I have to say that both our characters, uh, Bianca and Christine, both of us, we have, there is a duality because Christine is very sweet, very nice, but she can become very dangerous and Bianca as well you know in Bianca there is mystery and uh, Mediterranean warmth but at the same time she knows how to deal with violence because that is where she comes from it's funny too because it feels like the second that Kristen lands in Italy Italy, obviously she's a fish out of water she has no idea what he's doing what she's doing Bianca's been living this life what was it about her you think or maybe about Bianca that just made her have Kristen's back from the beginning, like unquestionably. Was it just that respect for the family or was it maybe something else as well? But I know I have to say that the thing is Bianca is going to help Kristen to find herself, you know, because actually Bianca is going to teach Kristen how to become a mafia boss and she's going to get in touch with her inner self to her real power and it's so interesting to see these three women fighting to protect themselves. I see. I say three women because also the role of Jenny, Kristen's lawyer, is very beautiful role. And Sofia Nomvetti, she's amazing in the film. So I think that behind a comedy also we have a beautiful message, you know, we are in a male-dominated society and these three women, they have to protect themselves. So, and also adult women. So this also is another beautiful message. So I think the film is sexy and crazy and, and funny and, and that's a new thing. It, it definitely is. It definitely is. When I was talking to Catherine yesterday, she was talking to me about how, you know, you guys were in Italy and pretty much everyone on set was Italian. So do you feel like being in Italy and having so many Italians surrounded this film just made it feel more authentic? It was funny because I think what happened is that when we uh, spoke in Italian, we were screaming, but not because we were angry, just because that's the way we talk. Yeah. So we probably seemed, you know, crazy to the non-Italian. <laughs> that's that's so funny. And um, I was so happy to see that Tony and, and Catherine really loved Italy so much. Really, because I'm Italian, even though I don't come from Rome, I come from Umbria. Umbria is the center north of Italy. But uh, when I go to Italy, I go to Rome a lot. I have my friends and I started movies over there. So I'm really attached to Rome. And the way Catherine filmed Rome is so beautiful. Have you been to Rome? I haven't. It's on my list, though. It is 100% on my list. So, you know, when you see the movie, you see how... I mean, how beautiful and the light mm. of Rome, the beauty of Rome. And so, I mean, even for that, you know, the film is is amazing for me because Rome is such a perfect place to to make a movie like this one. 
It makes me want to go even more too. So that it, it certainly had that effect in the way in the way I saw it. Now, you said you grew up on mafia movies, and there's a lot of tropes that we see in mafia movies. A lot, you know, just certain things that pop up over and over again with mafia and crime families and things like that. How was it though to kind of poke fun at some of those a little bit in this movie? Because we do get little moments where you sort of poke fun at, at certain things that we see a lot in mafia movies. But of course, there are stereotypes, you know, in this right. film. Of course, there are so many references to The Godfather as well, yep. even the feminine twist, you know, twist. And, uh, and you know, I think that in Italy, without Sicily, we won't have any movies. <laughs> <laughs> because all the films from Scorsese and Coppola and, you know, I mean, are Sicilian stories. And I'm so attached to Sicily as well, because... I shot Malena and I was for five months there in Syracuse. And so Sicily is just an incredible place, a special place. And uh, so, 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 so attached. And, you know, all those movies like The Godfather or uh, Godfellas and Once Upon a Time in America, you know, I grew up with this movie. So, but mm -hmm. I would have never imagined that one day I would play in a crazy comedy like this one you know in the mafia world we can add this one to the list and you'll see why mafia mama in theaters this friday and wait to see bianca you're gonna see her right away too you're gonna love her monica bellucci thank you so much for joining me today i really appreciate it thank you so much and this movie has a lot of fun moments and again there's just this the satire and the and the stereotypes that that are brought up in this kind of poked at i think makes it fun i think Kristen is a character that that just you, you. I think you're gonna love her. I really do. And just the dynamic between who, her and Bianca is really great. And Jenny is just a m massive ray of sunshine too in this whole thing. And it's just just one of those movies you just got to sit back and enjoy it. Not just the scenery, but just have a few of the laughs with these amazing characters as well. Mafia Mama in theaters right now. Take your sister. Take your best friend. Take your mom. I think you guys are really gonna love it. Again, thank you so much to Catherine Hardwick and Monica Bellucci for joining me to talk about Mafia Mama this week. Up next, we'll stay Italian and talk about the Super Mario Brothers movie. Dropping spoilers next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Hi, this is Griffin Newman from The Tick, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Can't think of a better way to start this off than to say, let's go! It's time to talk about the Super Mario Brothers movie, from Illumination, and I know it's been out for a little bit now, so it's time to talk some spoilers. I'm going to be full disclosure on this. I actually went to see this with my eight-year-old son, and this is the only the second movie we've gone to see together. He has special needs. He's a big, big Mario fan. Of course, I grew up 
on Super Mario Brothers. So this was definitely a bonding moment for us. And if you think that clouds my judgment here on my review, so be it. Because as a dad, there were so many moments watching this movie with my son that I just really, really won't forget. And maybe, maybe that will cloud my judgment on this. But I'm going to go ahead and give you my review anyway. You can feel free to take it for what it's worth, quite frankly. But honestly, the, the second you sit down and realize that this movie is absolutely 100% being made for kids, you will enjoy it a thousand times more. This is not a movie that's focusing on you know major character depth or you know, intricate plot lines or anything like that. You know why? Because it doesn't need to. It absolutely 100% does not need to do that because kids don't really necessarily need all that, okay? Especially since how many times have we gone to movies as adults? And I'm talking movies about characters that we know, right? Characters like Spider-Man and Batman and, and Superman. And we go through the origin stories every freaking time or something like that. And we say, you know, we know this. Can we skip to the good part, please? That's kind of what this movie does. It sets a little bit of a tone for what the character dynamics are going to be. And then it gets to it. And maybe you think that makes the plot line a bit rushed. And I guess it does. But it also skips through a lot of the BS and gets right to the point of what the movie is going to be about. And there, this movie did make a couple of choices, too, by the way. It's usually about saving the princess in Super Mario Brothers, right? Well, this time it was about saving Luigi. And why did they do that? Well, I think I'll tell you why they did that. Because what they did early on was they built up the bond between Mario and Luigi. Mario's the older brother, wants to protect little brother Luigi, who's scared a lot. And that's a precedent that is set by the Luigi's Mansion games that you see. Now, he has his brave moments, of course, but still, you know, we see, we've seen scared Luigi before. And, of course, Luigi ends up getting sucked through the pipe that goes into the Darklands and gets captured by Bowser. So now Mario has to go and save him. And one of the reasons that makes sense is because... You know, they're, they're brothers that do everything together and they have this bond. And when they're apart, it, you know, it hurts them both, especially Mario. So that's why he'll do anything it takes to go save his brother. And that to me, and they establish that. And then you fast forward to the end when they finally do meet up together. And then the first time they fight together, it's impactful because of what they did to build that moment up. At the end, so I, 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 you want depth? There it is, right there. And kids relate to the sibling bond more than they relate to the damsel in distress type story. So again, when you're making a movie for kids, which this is, going with a sibling bond story between Mario and Luigi is much more relatable than going for a story of, oh, well, here's a random princess that just happens to be in trouble from a random kingdom that these two guys don't know, so let's go save her. It makes much more sense to do what they did. So I think that that was a really smart choice. The other thing they did was having it so Bowser is in love with Princess Peach, wants to marry her, and kind of rule the kingdoms together sort of thing. Now, Bowser, terrible dude, right? Ter and I got to say, Jack Black... Bravo. Talk about taking Bowser to the next level. And who's going to be singing that Peaches song 
just just randomly, especially if you've seen the movie more than once. Yeah, because I certainly am, for sure. It was just, they, they gave us enough of an evil Bowser, but they also gave us a, the fun and funny Bowser without, you know, in the way that cartoon villains are funny. I, I think that they just really, really nailed it with that character and, and how he ruled his his kingdom and his people at the, and ruled the Koopas. It was very, very interesting. And, and, the, and Peach being stronger than we would normally see her, I think was a neat thing too. And like she, when she's going through the obstacle course, you know, trying to train Mario to see if he's worthy of coming on this quest with her. I, I think that that was, that was really neat to see her in that role and see her just kind of willing to fight. And they also set up, well, she doesn't know where she's from. And that's a story they didn't actually get a conclusion on. So that gives them something to build on for another movie. Should they want to go that route? So I thought that was pretty smart too. And I thought Toad was fun and funny. I thought D- Donkey Kong, that story, that part of the story was really fun. And they just the, the way he and Mario kind of clashed with each, with each other. And then they had the common bond of their dads thinking that they're both idiots. And they kind of bond over that moment. And the fact that they save each other too in this movie kind of helps. So just in what Seth Rogen did with that character. And quite frankly, the whole voice thing, I, if you want it to bother you, fine. They, they kind of deal with it right in the beginning of the movie, and maybe you think they poke a little bit of fun at it, and you don't like that. But at the same time, once you get into the movie, you don't really notice it. At least I didn't. And once you hear Chris Pratt trying to do that voice, it really doesn't make sense. It really didn't make sense. And it actually kind of would have been distracting, I think, to hear the voice done that way throughout the movie with the way that they were kind of moving the story and, and moving the tone of the story. And that's no knock against Charles Martinet, who, who, is, who is Mario. And he always will be, by the way. Chris Pratt's never going to take that away from Charles Martinet. And that's with all due respect to Chris Pratt, who I think actually did a good job with this. The, nobody's ever going to take that away from Charles Martinet. He's always going to be Mario for, a, for just thousands and millions of fans. He will always be it. And that's never going away just because Chris Pratt's doing the voice for the movie. Okay, let's let's make that clear as well. And Chris Pratt did a fine job. Charlie Day did a good job, I thought, too. As Luigi, everybody in this voice cast did a really good job. I thought I wasn't distracted by it at all. It didn't take me out of the story at all. So I think that the, that a lot of the whining and complaining about this movie was from people that just didn't realize that this movie's not made for adults. If you want to enjoy it as an adult, fine. Don't think I wasn't looking at all the Easter eggs. Like when Mario's playing Kid Icarus, that was really fun. You get, he's got the Kung Fu poster on the wall. You get the Punch Out Cafe or whatever that restaurant was that was in there. There were a lot of little Nintendo references snuck in there if you wanted to see them. Right? And of course, you know, you see Diddy Kong pop up. You see Yoshi in the background too. There's a lot of stuff you know, Easter eggs as adults, or if you're a big Mario fan that you're going to see and appreciate. But again, this movie was made for kids and designed to tell a certain story that kids will love and introduce a whole generation of fans, either either introduce them to, to the Super Mario Brothers story or make them fall in love with the Mario story even more than they already did. And just watching my son's reaction to this movie tells me that they accomplished exactly 
what they wanted to accomplish. And because I ended up enjoying it too, it's just all the better, right? So don't listen to what the haters are saying. Go see the Super Mario Brothers movie for yourself if you haven't already. It's a record breaker for a reason. It should still be in theaters for a while. And I'm sure they'll have a have a Peacock released in and a digital release date here for that pretty soon too because they don't really want to waste any time on that, I don't think. That's going to do it for my review, with a lot of spoilers, by the way, of the Super Mario Brothers movie from Illumination. Up next, let's talk about some nerd news because there was a couple of big, big kind of conferences that happened this week, and I'll get to those next. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yo, yo, this is Cam Rush Johnson from the cast of Batwoman, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's a week of big news and big celebrations. It's time for nerd news, and I'm going to start off because it's the thing that happened most recently with the Warner Brothers Discovery announcements that were made and the new brand name for the HBO Max Discovery Plus streaming service, which is just going to be called Max, which I'm sorry is like the stupidest name that they could have possibly come up with. I still don't understand why you dropped the HBO brand name that's you know been known for a long, long time. HBO is a brand that people know, and it's not like people are going to say, oh, I'm confused. How am I going to watch my favorite animated series on HBO? Come on. People aren't going to get confused about watching Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives on HBO Max just because the word HBO is on I, I just don't understand. I think Max is too simplistic, but that's just me. And the, the name doesn't matter. What's on the what's on the streamer is going to matter. And I want to talk about the first look at the Penguin series, which, of course, is set in the world of Matt Reeves' The Batman, starring Colin Farrell and many others. You want to get the full cast list, go to downandnerdypodcast.com and check out the story there. But this first look is basically what you would have expected it was going to be, you know, with Carmine Falcone out of the picture. Now, you know, who's going to be grabbing the organized crime you know, spotlight in Gotham, and it looks like, you know, Oswald, the Penguin himself, is going to be the one that's going to try and do that, which you would, you know, naturally expect to have happen. And what you see in this trailer is him struggling to do that, and, you know, creating alliances, you know, making a few enemies along the way as well, and just bringing back that that vibe and that attitude that Colin Farrell brought to the Penguin character in the first place. But this is basically what, like I said, what you expected it was going to be, a very organized crime type feel of a series. Now, how much more are we going to get out of this? Familiar names, faces? I don't think we'll see Batman in this at all. I could be wrong, but it looks exactly as I expected. We know this is going to come out in 2024. We don't know exactly when yet. No update on the release date. But, I mean, as far as first looks go, this pretty much confirms what we expected in the first place. So no big deal there. I did want to step away from the main announcements here for a second because Collider did jump in on the same day with the announcement of the full cast for the Creature Commandos series. Of course, first James Gunn's first project in his DC Studios takeover with Peter Safran. And we know who is going to play everyone in the series. Sean Gunn actually going to be the one that's going to voice a couple of different characters here. He's going to be the voice of Weasel and also of G.I. Robot. So he's got a couple of roles there. But Frank Grillo, that was the name that was kind of rumored throughout social media for a while. And Frank Grillo is going to play Rick Flagg Sr. So he's joining the DC Universe. And you've got Maria Baklova, who's going to play Princess Yelena Rostovich. You've also got Indra Varma. She is going to be playing the bride. You've got Zoe Chow, who's going to be Nina 
Mazurowski. You've got Alan Tudyk, who's going to be Dr. Phosphorus. David Harbour as Eric Frankenstein. I thought that was a big one as well. And Steve Adji going to reprise his role as John Economos. And you assume that Viola Davis is going to be Amanda Waller once again. But this is a pretty solid cast. And remember, you know, James Gunn has said, you know, we want the people voicing the characters going to be the same ones playing them in live action. So, if, you know, we should see these characters in live action at some point. I would think this is the cast that you're going to expect. You've got some big names on there, some names that you certainly that, that fans will be excited about. So I think that this is a good start and step in the right direction for Creature Commandos. But again, until you get a trailer or some sort of semblance of what's going on with this show, then we can't really know for sure. But, you know, th- this is a good start for as far as the casting list and things like that are concerned. So that's something to be excited about. But I definitely want to jump to this Harry Potter news because it is confirmed now that a Harry Potter TV series is going to be coming to the Max streaming service. And it is going to be, and I want to make sure that I get this right here for a second. It's going to be a faithful adaptation of the beloved Harry Potter book series by author and executive producer J.K. Rowling. I want to make sure that I get that in there. Faithful adaptation. And it's already said this is going to be like a decade-long project. Each book is going to get its own season so, so you're going to get, you know, several, however many episodes are going to be in each season, which it doesn't say. And it's going to probably be able to dive deeper into each book than any movie could have, obviously. I think that I went back and forth on this. I'm like, okay, is this something we need to be remade right now? It doesn't seem like that long ago, but I mean, it, I guess it kind of has. These movies have been around for a while and these books have been around even longer. So if you want to think about that for a second, maybe it is time to be able to do something like this. I mean, 2001 doesn't seem like that long ago, but it kind of was. And I guess the whole point of this is to introduce this story to a whole new generation. There's going to be a whole new cast and everything. Now, obviously those are some big shoes to fill because a lot of people love the movies, especially the early movies. But the fact that we're going to get, it seems like all the books are going to be adapted here for this TV series. And I'm just interested, you know, effects being what they are now, how much we're going to lean on practical effects, how much there's going to be, you know, CG involved and all this other stuff. Not that there wasn't CG back then, but the technology 20 plus years later is a little bit different. So how much are the, how much more are they going to be able to do? And should they do more? In that regard, is that really kind of necessary? I I guess in one respect it is, in another respect, maybe it's not. So, again, very early stages. I don't want to turn this into a, you know, J.K. Rowling and and her personal belief systems conversation. I just want to look at this as the face value of do we need this Harry Potter TV series or not? I think that how much we'll need it will very much depend on what the cast, who the cast is, and what this thing looks like. I think we'll need it more. If you look at it and say, oh, this looks amazing, then you're going to need more than if you look at it and go, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with what we already got. I think this could really go either way. But, I mean, the excitement level is obviously high, and I understand that. There is another Game of Thrones prequel that has been announced. This one going to be called A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, The Hedge Knight, which is going to be set when the Targaryens still hold the Iron Throne. And it's about a young, native, but courageous knight named Sir Duncan the Tall and his diminutive squire, Egg. That's the information that we have from the log line that we were given. And this is, you know, the memory of the last dragon. 
is still with everyone. There's, you know, great destinies and powerful foes and blah, 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 things like that. Okay, this is this sounds very much, you know, Game of Thrones and a story of a couple of characters that obviously we're not necessarily familiar with from the original Game of Thrones story. And this is, again, expanding the world. We complain about, you know, all of the prequels and all of these things like that. And yet you say, oh, I wish I could see X, Y, and Z. You know, this is a vast world that George R. R. Martin has created. And being able to see more of it's probably not the worst thing in the world, right? Obviously, it worked out with House of the Dragon, which production has started on season two of House of the Dragon, by the way. I know it seems like forever since we're going to be able to see that, but production has started on that thing. But if again, if done well, expanding the world is exactly what we kind of want from anything that we love, isn't it? At least I think it is anyway. So I'm hoping that this one sort of adds to the larger story or just tells a story all on its own that sort of connects to the universe as well. It doesn't have to be, you know, full of references for me and everything like that to be enjoyed. As long as the story is told well and the cast is good, I'm all in on that. We also know that Gremlins Secrets and the Mogwai speaking a prequel series is going to premiere on May the 23rd on Max. They released a new trailer. It looks just as interesting as the first one was that we saw several months ago. And this is one that I've been excited for for a while because we're going back to the 1920s and it's going to, you know, a pretty amazing voice cast. Again, go to downandnerdypodcast.com to get that. But at least we know now that it's going to be coming out on the 23rd. And there's just a bunch of other random news and notes here. You've got The Regime, which looks pretty interesting. It's Kate Winslet back in another Max series. This one's actually going to be telling a whole year story of a, of a, of a European regime as it begins to unravel, it's all going to take place, it seems like, inside the, the palace, which is pretty cool. We've got a new True Detective series that we finally got the trailer for. Night Country, which looks amazing. And it's got Jodie Foster is going to be in this thing. You've also got another, you know, some, some pretty amazing cast members for that as well. And this is going to be set in Alaska, which is a really good setting, I think for a true detective series. And, you know, there's, you know, there's a Big Bang Theory spinoff coming. You've got a show set in the Conjuring universe. Robert Downey Jr. is actually going to be in a show called The Sympathizer, which deals with the Vietnam War. So there's a lot of stuff that was announced and a lot of, you know, stuff in various genres that you can be excited about. I just, it feels like this should have been a bigger splash than it actually was. And I think part of it was because you hear the name and the name shouldn't matter for the streaming series, but it took the air out of the tires. I think because people are just looking at that and saying, Max, really? And how does that tie back to your brand of Warner Brothers Discovery? That's the other thing that I think is weird. Like Paramount has Paramount Plus. You've got Disney. It has Disney Plus. Even MGM Plus. Prime Video for Amazon Prime. Everything ties back to the original brand. Max, how does that tie in to the original brand? It just seems, it's just again, I don't want to keep harping on this, but it seems, seems a little short-sighted and it bugs me. But... As long as these shows and movies and stuff like that are good, I don't care what you call the streaming service, but make it happen and bring a little bit of good faith back to the table. Really quickly, I want to run through some of the news from Star Wars Celebration 2023. I know it's been you know out there for a while now, so I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I, the, the Ahsoka trailer that dropped, that was kind of like the first big thing that we got out of Star Wars Celebration. And, and I got to tell you, it left me feeling pretty good about the show. We got a couple of new Force users that we were exposed to there. That seemed to have plenty of people talking. We also found out 
that we were going to get Mary Elizabeth Winston, who's going to play Hera on the show. We didn't know that before. That has now been confirmed. We also got to see Sabine. And, you know, there was a lot of good, you know, you get to see the back Thrawn set. Although, I guess if you were at Celebration, you got to see the full reveal of Thrawn. I love the fact they're bringing the voice actor that, that played him back for the live action version of that. So, I, I think that I had a good vibe coming out of that trailer. I was pretty excited about it. I was already excited for the series anyway, though, so maybe I was going in there. And, and you know, if you're if you're a fan of Rebels, you're probably pretty happy after seeing that and wanting to finally see these characters in live action as well. And hopefully this is the first of, of many for those characters. But, I mean, I, I don't think it's anything that, that really blew me away necessarily, but at the same time, it was pretty much up to my expectations, which were already pretty high, so then there's that. One of the things that I think that people were talking about the most was was Star Wars Acolyte, that series that's going to be coming to Disney Plus as well. And I think it's because it was being described as Frozen meets Kill Bill. And to me, that's just a very interesting way to put something. And, and the fact that you're you're comparing anything to Frozen in the Star Wars universe also was like, okay. I mean, I thought this was supposed to be a, a show about shadowy secrets and you know, emerging dark side powers and stuff like that. This is going to be set near the end of the High Republic era, by the way. And you, you, we get this Wookiee Jedi. They came out there and there. So also we know we're going to get a Wookiee Jedi in this. But then you say, okay, Frozen meets Kill Bill. Okay, I get the Kill Bill part. When does the Frozen part come in? It just, it seems a little odd. But at the same time, the, there's, there's just been a lot of oddness sort of surrounding this series anywhere, anyway, right? But this is one of those that I think that We'll get a much better idea when we get to see a trailer or something on this. It's it, it, especially, you know, I, I'll be honest. I'm not really super familiar with the High Republic era stuff, so I'd have to, you know, get more educated on that to be able to talk about it a little bit better as we get closer to it. But I, I think that there's a lot of mystery for a lot of fans surrounding this. And is this a gamble? I don't know. I don't. I don't think it is necessarily. I think the bigger gamble, really is Skeleton Crew because it's got, you know, like a, a high-risk, high-reward type of thing to me. And I think one of the things that, that makes me wonder about this one is that it centers around kids. Of course, you know, the four kids, they make a discovery. They think they're on a safe planet, and all of a sudden they find this thing, whatever it is, and all of a sudden they're on, they're, you know, they kind of get lost in the galaxy sort of thing, and they need to try and find their way home. And it sounds, you know, if you're if you're into that sort of epic then that's, that could be right up your alley, you know, the, the journey of four kids sort of thing. But if you just don't need a story centered around kids, that's going to be a problem for you. And there are some people that are just sick of stories that are surrounded by a group of kids. And, you know, we saw that with Stranger Things, and it worked. But we've seen that with other things, and it just didn't work. We've seen Netflix try that a few times, and it just didn't stick. So that's, to me, why Star Wars Skeleton Crew is the gamble of all the things that were announced as far as series go for for this Disney Plus venture. And you know, it's again, it's not a huge deal if it doesn't work out, but at the same time, you kind of got to wonder, you know, if this is one that, that that's going to be able to move the needle at all. And then we of course we get Daisy Ridley out on stage, we know that Ray is going to return in a new movie that's going to kind of bring to get try, try to bring together a new Jedi order and people are so upset about this. And I don't get it. Like, you're really going to carry this hatred for this sequel trilogy forever, aren't you? Because there was nothing wrong with what Daisy Ridley did. There was nothing really wrong with Rey either. 
just they, they fumbled the execution of the story partially because of the flip-flopping directors that they didn't realize that they were going to get and having too many cooks in the kitchen and, and not realizing, you know, what the vision was supposed to actually be. And it sort of got lost along the way. And it wasn't just Ray's character. It was other characters as well. So don't act like this had anything to do with Daisy Ridley. And keep in mind that, you know, there's there's new minds at play here. It doesn't mean that they can't get this right. Plus, we've been te- we were kind of teased that, you know, this kind of wasn't going to be it. There were going to be more force users out there, and there was going to need to be somebody that would lead them. And Ray is kind of it. Ray is what is left of the old guard anyway. So somebody's got to pick up the saber and start teaching these young Padawans. So it might as well be her. And I like Daisy Ridley. And I think she was so appreciative of being in the Star Wars universe in the first place. So I, I think that she's going to come back and, and try her hardest to make this thing amazing. And maybe it will be, maybe it won't be. But I think that this is worth this is a shot worth taking with Daisy Ridley coming back. And, and I think, again, I'm excited about it. I know that a lot of people aren't, but I'm excited about it. And I love the fact that she's going to be the one that's going to be taking the helm there. We've also got Dave Filoni, who made a pretty big announcement that we are going to get a Mandalorian-centric movie, which is kind of more based on the war that's really kind of ramping up right now between the Imperial Remnant and the New Republic. And I think that this is something that I'm not really surprised that they're doing this, but at the same time, it wasn't obvious that this is where this was going to go, but it seems like this story's been so popular and there's a lot more of this to tell, even outside of the story of the Mandalorians themselves. So, and this coming, right, and this news coming like right before the episode this past Wednesday that it ripped our guts out, which is going to lead us to the finale, which I think is going to rip our guts out even more. They, I'm just saying what they what they did with Din Djarin, and they took well, take him to the debriefing room thing. That worries me. That really, really worries me because you saw what happened to Doctor Pershing. I'm not saying they're going to kill off. Dinjarin, but what I am saying is that he might not be the Dinjarin that we know once we get him back. That that's my concern there. But that's just my opinion. That is, you know, th- this was recorded before this episode even aired, by the way. So if you're listening to this after the episode is aired, not my fault. This is just my opinion. So if that ends up happening, don't tell me I dropped spoilers because I mean this is like I recorded this on a Friday before, so don't, I don't want to hear it. So I don't want to hear any spoiler talk. But I think having a having a movie centered in that universe. It's a wonderful idea. Um, I just wonder if it's going to be too... This is one I think you'd have to make sooner rather than later, and I'm not sure they're going to be able to do that. So that's my only worry there. We also got a look at Volume 2 of Star Wars Visions, which is going to be coming out in May the 4th be with you this year. And again, you just see all these different animation styles. You've got CG, you've got full-on anime, you've got stop motion. You've even got like a Wallace and Gromit type vibe to some of these as well. So the animation styles, again, just stunning. And I love the fact that we're going to get these shorts from these these major animation studios that have made so many other great things in the past. But again, you look at this trailer, and it's a lot of what seems like younger or kid-centric shorts. And if that's what they're going for, then that's fine. But at the same time, you're centering a lot of stuff around kids you're not necessarily going to grab all over your audience. And it seemed like a lot of these shorts were dealing with, with kids or maybe it was just me. Maybe it's just the vibe of the trailer and it won't actually be 
that many. And again, if that's something that you're interested in, awesome. You're going to be all in on this. But And I'm not saying I'm not. I'm just saying I'm surprised that there were this many that felt like they were centered around kids where I don't feel like that was the case the first time around. I mean, there's certainly a, a few, but I don't think it felt like a lot. In this trailer, it makes it seem like a lot. So again, we won't know until the actual episodes drop, but that's something to just kind of keep an eye on. But there, there was a lot of great stuff to be happy about coming out of Star Wars Celebration for sure. Really, I want, really quickly, I want to sneak in this tease for the Continental, which is the trailer for the new John Wick prequel series that's going to be coming to Peacock in September of this year. And we get to see the famous hotel for assassins, right? But this is back in 1970s New York. And we get to see, you know, various assassins along the way, which was really, really neat to, to see. And we also get to see, we, we get to see Winston Scott. And, you know, he's eventually going to be running this thing, but not in this series. So this is before Winston takes his throne, as it were. And it's just kind of uncovers this mystery world. And we don't get a lot of hints to that mystery. You just see a lot of faces, a lot of action. You get to see the hotel itself. So again, very much a tease for sure. And I'm kind of curious to see exactly how much we're going to learn about the series before it actually pops up. Because I know you never want to reveal too much, but you got to give me a little bit more than you gave me in that teaser. But it's called the teaser for a reason. I'm sure we'll be getting a full trailer here pretty soon. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my amazing guests from Mafia Mama this week. Make sure you're going to see that. If you need any information on us, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram, at downandnerdy on Facebook, at downandnerdypod on TikTok. And, of course, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That also helps out a ton. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.